So we've been going through a series uh, starting last week and talking about the lessons that our kids are going to be learning at BBS. And the BBS theme, as you can see up here, it's ocean, it's rocks, it's uh, kind, of, kind of like a pebbly beach and that sort of thing. And the kids are going to be learning that despite what they're taught and what people, a lot of people believe these days, that truth is rock solid and that we can trust God and what the Bible says. And so in the lesson today, we're going to be in Daniel chapter 1. So you can turn there if you, have, if you want to, Daniel chapter 1. And I have a couple of questions for you guys. Which of these do you prefer when you are going to the beach or having a camp out? Uh, when you're doing s'mores, for example, do you prefer your, your marshmallow to be melted and kind of lightly toasted, or do you want it burnt? I'm a burnt person myself. Like, light it on fire. Let's sit there for a second. <laughs> Pull that top part off, stick it in there again. That's how I am. <laughs> um, do you, when you go to the ocean, do you prefer to see in, in calm water or do you like to see waves? Waves? Bumper? Calm water? <laughs> it, you know, down here in Gulf Shores, it's almost weird when the ocean is calm because it's almost never calm down there. And when it is, it feels strange to see no waves down there. Yeah, that's right. Uh, do you prefer to read a book when you're on the beach or camping, or do you prefer just to close your eyes and, and listen to the sounds of the things going around around you? Both of them. I'm a reader. I think I'd be bored listening too long. Ashley would be neither. Anybody on neither? Like you would read more, close your eyes. <laughs> do you prefer, and this is really specifically for the beach, um, do you prefer going to the beach in the middle of the summer when it's hot and sunny, or do you, do you prefer going kind of winter or fall when it's cool and windy? Any of the above. Any time. Any time. Maybe it's warm or sunny, huh? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's miserable trying to be in a tent or something when it's hot outside. <laughs> yeah. Now, I have gone camping when it's been 10 degrees, too, and that wasn't fun either. But uh, being hot is not fun, for sure. So we talk, we're talking about personal preferences, and a lot of these questions I'm asking, them, there is no right answer, unless you want to say your answer is the right answer. Um, but in the story today, when we talk about Daniel chapter 1, he faces a decision where there absolutely is a right answer to the question he had before and, you know, there's a lot of stuff we're doing in life where we have a similar situation. For example, uh, which is easier? Is it easier to stay home or is it easier to go to church? It's easier to stay home. You know, is it easier to kind of sit down and watch TV or to spend time in God's Word and prayer? It's easier to watch TV. You know, is it easier to make your kids go to church or is it easier just to let them do what they want? You know, let them do what they want. So we, just like Daniel, face decisions all the time of do we go do the thing that's easy or do we do the thing that's right? 
kids and the, the the lesson and the question that this lesson is asking for today is is it true that following your heart makes you happy because this is something that our world tells us if you follow your heart it'll make you happy or if you do what makes you happy it'll make you happy and the question is is that really true is following what you desire suddenly is what brings the happiest part of your life that's what Daniel has to face in the situation he's in in Daniel chapter 1. And so the book of Daniel, it takes place right at the end of the reign of the kings of Israel. They're about to go into exile, and you actually pick up the very beginning of the exile in Daniel chapter 1. And it was a very chaotic time, a very stressful time for these people. So I'm actually going to read Daniel chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. Y'all are welcome when you see why. <laughs> I won't read that. All right. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. The Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the vessels of the house of God, and he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and he brought the vessel to the treasury of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, the chief of his officials, to bring in some of the sons of Israel, including some of the royal family of the nobles, youths in whom there was no defect, who were good-looking, showing intelligence and every branch of wisdom, endowed with understanding and discerning knowledge, and who had ability for serving in the king's court. And he ordered him, meaning Ashpenaz, to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed for them a daily ration from the king's choice food and from the wine which he drank. And he appointed that they should be educated three years. And at the end of those three years, they, they were to enter the king's personal service. Now among them, the sons of Judah, were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And then the commander of the officials assigned these new names to them. And to Daniel, he assigned the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. There you go. I read the names wow. for you guys. Thank you. <laughs> so this first part teaches us that God's plan is best even during the chaos that we have around us. So if you ever go on vacation and things didn't turn out like you had planned, you might have a story you want to tell about that. You might want to tell a story about going on vacation and something didn't turn out. Go ahead. This kind of goes along with the story you asked, the example you were looking for last week about mm -hmm. a beach experience. Mm -hmm. We went camping up north in Michigan, and we we just kind of happened across the fact that there was a dog beach. And I thought, well, this is fantastic. We had two little, tiny, long-haired dachshunds, and I thought, they're going to love the beach. So we put them on their leashes, and we took them on down to the beach while the one was a scaredy dog and just kind of clung to Renee the whole time we were there. The other little little guy was black, long-haired, and he took to that water immediately and ran down the beach barking at the waves. And sure enough, there's a sign at a limit where it says, no dogs allowed past this point. Well, guess who can't read? It's my dog. It was 25 minutes. I ran after that dog to get him to come back. Because he was on the wrong part of the beach. <laughs> he just couldn't, he still can't regain it. 
time when you go on vacation with your family and everybody gets the stomach virus. Oh, oh man. Yeah. I to come home after a day. Yeah. Yeah. That happens even when you go to like Christmas and you think it's going to be fun. Everybody gets the stomach virus over yeah. Christmas. Wait, Ashton and I did that one time. One of the camping trips Ashton and I went on, we went to this place called Possum Kingdom Lake in Texas. Um, because it was just west of Dallas. And you get outside, you go west of Dallas, it actually starts to look like the West. Dallas doesn't look like the West, but you start going west of there and it starts looking like the West. That's why we went to Possum Kingdom Lake. So we get there and the, the wind is blowing like 30 miles an hour. And we have a tent. So we carry all of our stuff out to this tent area because you can't park your car next to it. You have to hike there. And the wind is blowing so hard, I can't get the fire started. The fire just keeps getting blown out. We brought food to cook over the fire. We have no food to cook because we have no fire. I try to put the tent up, and the wind is blowing so hard, it's basically like a kite. And it's just laying down and getting blown next to the trees. So Ashley and I look at each other, and we're like, we're just going to go to the nearest city and just rent a hotel for tonight. Because we were going to camp two nights. So we're like, we'll just rent a hotel for tonight. We'll come back in the morning, and we'll have all of our plans planned out then. We go back to the car, we locked our keys in the car. And we are in the middle of nowhere. I mean, we're in the middle of nowhere. There's no cell coverage, middle of nowhere in Texas, this part of Texas. And so we have to go and we spend, we, we eat cold hot dogs out of the container, uncooked. We do manage to get our tent up and it and we get some extra cord and we strap it down. And we just go straight to bed basically because it's so bad. And we learned a few things, and there's a lot of times when stuff like that happens, you learn some stuff. You know, you learn that your dog's camp English, for example. It's a good lesson to know in that kind of camp. Uh, you know, we learned don't lock your keys in the car when you go camping. You know, that's important to know. We did check the weather beforehand, so we did not learn that lesson. We learned, I guess we learned the weather. The weatherman can be wrong. I guess that that was the lesson we learned. The weatherman can be wrong. Uh, but we learn lessons sometimes when we go through these kind of experiences. That's what Daniel comes up to. He has it's a very chaotic experience that we see in the beginning of chapter of Daniel. Um, you know, you got to picture yourself being here. You're, Babylonians have just come in. They've pulled you for Daniel and his family. They pulled Daniel and all these rest of these teenagers. They were probably around 14. They pulled them away from their family, trapped them hundreds of miles away from their homes. They watched likely things get burned. They watched people get killed. It is a land of chaos. And the question becomes, how is Daniel and what are they going to learn in this chaos? And the thing they learn best is we look at this is that God's plan works out best. Before we move on, it's interesting to see just the pressure that they put on these kids in this passage. First, they were picked because they were young. They were 14. They were teachable age. Usually they had three years where they went through this education experience. They are about 17 when they started the king's service. They taught them all kinds of things, including literature and the language of the Chaldeans. So they learned um, what was called, I think it's called proto. Um, uh, well, you got, 
Let me look it up. Because they were speaking, early on they were not speaking Aramaic. They were speaking Proto-Akkadian. Proto-Akkadian, then they learned Aramaic, then later they learned Persian, of course they knew Hebrew, and they were learning all these languages. And if you've ever tried to learn a language, that's not easy to do. And then they were also learning the religion of Babylon. And part of this three-year program was being taught how to worship the, the idols that Babylonians worshipped. That was part of the education experience. And in fact, this incorporation went down to even changing their names. So their names, each of them, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, corresponded with something related to God. Uh, the E-L at the end of Daniel, the E-L out at the end of uh, Mishael. These are all things that corresponded to God. When they got their names changed, every single one of their names includes the name of a pagan deity. Belteshazzar, Daniel, has the word Bel in it, which is a pagan deity. Um, Abednego had the, had the name Nido at the end of it, was, which was a pagan deity. Every single one of them, even their own names, got changed from talking about the Lord to talking about pagans. But despite all of this, Daniel, who like wrote this, shows that God had a plan. And he does it in some very interesting ways. The first of those is in verse 2, where it says, The Lord gave King Jehoiakim to Nebuchadnezzar. In other words, this wasn't Nebuchadnezzar just coming over and defeating people. This wasn't something random out of control. This was God in his sovereignty choosing to hand over to Hoakim that God was in control. And then later in that same verse, um, it says the house of God, that he brought some of the vessels, meaning Nebuchadnezzar brought some of the vessels out of house of God. In the Hebrew, it is the God, which is emphatic. So everywhere else where it talks about Nebuchadnezzar's gods, it's always God, a God, or the gods, plural. But when, it, but when he talks about the Lord, he says this is house of the God in the Hebrew. He's pointing out, Daniel is saying, look, there's only one true God, and he's in Jerusalem, and he's the one that gave it, made this all happen. So these guys are in the land of chaos and they're learning that God still has a plan, is in control in the midst of chaos. So have you ever been through a situation um, and saw God move in the midst of chaos and um, he kind of revealed himself to you and he encountered God in a new way? So you might want to, have you ever experienced something like that you want to share? The group. All right. Well, let's just move on to the next section, which is the part that a lot of us know about. Where we see that God is best even when other people don't follow. Now, I gave you guys the break and didn't let you read verses 1 through 7. 
But can I get somebody to do uh, verses 8 through 16? 8 through 16. All right. Daniel made up his mind that he would not revive himself. And the king's choice to the Lord with wine sought permission from the commander of the officials that he might not revive himself. Now God granted Daniel favor and compassion with the sight of the commander and the official of the said Daniel, I'm afraid my Lord the King, he's in your dream. Well, why should he see your face more haggard than the usual? Then you would make me. But Daniel said to the overseer, the commander of the officials, and pointed over Daniel, and I, Mishael, has arrived. Please test your servant for 10 days and let us be given some bed to eat more. Then let our appearance be observed. In the appearance of the youths who are eating choice food and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for 10 days. And at the end of the 10 days, uh, their appearance seemed better and they were fatter than all the youth who had been eating the king's choice food. So the overseer continued to eat their choice food and the wine they were to drink kept giving them vegetables. So we learned early in verses 1 through 7 that when all these youths came to Babylon, they were given a lush table of things to eat from. And it wasn't just Israelites there. You had Egyptians there. You had Syrians there. Everybody who they had conquered, they were bringing these 14-year-old boys to this location. Anybody that knows you get a bunch of 14-year-old boys together, it's probably going to be a little chaotic, and they're not going to do what they're supposed to anyways. And much more so when you put, for an Israelite, readily available these uh, foods that they're not supposed to eat. And so all these boys start eating food that's not proper. One, because it might have included pork or something that they weren't allowed to eat. But even if they were allowed to eat it technically because it was the correct animal, a lot of this food was sacrificed in pagan temples as an act of worship. So when you ate the food, you, it was tantamount to worshiping the God for whom the food was sacrificed for. So everybody starts to dig into this table, and they're drinking wine and possibly even getting drunk on it, because that's what they did in Babylon. They got drunk on wine all the time. And they were probably engaging in that kind of stuff, too. And the fellow Israelites jumped right in with it. All of them that were taken in with it, they began to go with what the Babylonians were teaching them, except for Daniel. He is the only one that decides, and he, even though he's alone, I assume at that time, he decides he's not going to eat the food that's unclean or food sacrificed to pagan idols. And you got to realize how hard of a decision that must have been for Daniel. I mean, y'all tell me, what are some of the things he's risking by refusing to eat this food? What do you think he's risking? His life just for disobeying? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, ridicule from the other teenagers? 14-year boys can be brutal. Yeah.
the king's wrath. I mean, even if they're not killed, you know, he could not be promoted, not be put in charge of anything. Yeah. Maybe even his own physical health in terms of just not getting the food and substance he needs. You know, if they don't provide the stuff that he needs to eat, he would just look thin and unhealthy and that kind of stuff. You know, and there was other reasons he had gone. You know, he could have been mad at God. I mean, remember what just happened and what God caused to do. The destruction of families, the destroying of houses, the yanking them away from everybody. He could have been mad at God. In fact, maybe that's what the other Israelite boys were okay with doing. They're like, why follow God if that's what he allowed? You know, they weren't around their parents. They weren't in Jerusalem anymore. There was nobody there watching them. There was a lot of reasons for Daniel to just go with everybody. And he didn't. He decided to stand up and say something. And we find out in verse 11 that the other three guys, Hanani, Mishael, and Azariah, who are also more popularly known as Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, because of their story that happens later, they side with Daniel. And thankfully, I, I would have to believe that Daniel was glad they came along. Because the first few verses, 8, 9, and 10, it sounds like it's just Daniel there that's really saying it. It says Daniel's the one that decides not to do it. Daniel's the one that goes up and asks if he doesn't have to. And the other friends don't come along to verse 11. But they do come up with this test. They said, hey, let's test this out for 10 days and only give us vegetables to eat and water. That word vegetable in the Hebrew can include not just vegetables, but fruit. So it's fruit and vegetables, really. And he said, basically, test us. And if we look horrible, like you're afraid we would be, then we'll eat the food that you want us to eat. But if we look great, then let us keep eating the way we want to eat. And the dude's okay with this. I mean, he doesn't want them to look horrible because he's afraid he could get killed himself if he turns into scrawny little male people to the king. But he's okay with the 10-day test, so he lets them do that. And so we begin to see that God's plan works best, and it works best also even when others refuse to follow. How many of y'all use time out when you had kids? Do you still use time out? <laughs> we use time out with Josie all the time. Uh, Millie's too young, really, for us to be able to do that yet, but... Why is time out such a difficult punishment for a child? Yeah, exactly. They, they don't want to be alone. They don't want to be missing out what other people are doing, right? You know, if somebody told me to go sit in the corner be quiet, don't engage anybody, I'd be happy about it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But a kid, they, want, they don't want to be alone. They want to engage what's going on. And they want to do stuff. And that's what makes what Daniel did as a 14-year-old so incredible. And so how, how sometimes, how does it feel? You know, I don't know, have you ever done something or been in a situation where you're the only one that felt like you were following God's plan? Well, how do you think it might feel if you had to be in a situation where you had to choose to follow God's plan and somebody else wasn't? How do you think that would make you feel? Resentment. Resentment toward the other people? Maybe. Yeah. Like, why aren't y'all doing this too? You know? 
can see that. I had to do that one time. I was called family jewelry. Mm -hmm. And the question was, uh, who has a problem with drinking and driving? Well, I raised my hand. I was the only one at a yes. group of wow. 100 people that raised their hand. Wow. I was stunned. I said, you are lying. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Speaking of that, by the way, I don't know if y'all heard, but one of Ashley's cousins died on what is it Sunday morning from probably drinking and driving. We think let's just say it fit her personality, and it was a single car wreck. Um. So yeah, I do not have a problem with it, you know. What are some things that might help if you ever had to stand up? And you know, in all honesty, as you're pointing out, I mean, when the world is getting to a place where more and more often Christians are going to be called to make stands when other people are not, and to and where it used to be where you could stand up and you might have a whole legion of other people standing with you, that legion is a lot smaller. And it's getting smaller, it seems like, by the day. And so what are some things that can help encourage us to be with us in times where we do have to make stands against something where the vast majority of people are not with us or maybe even against? For what can help? Yeah, was, I'm sure Daniel was very glad those three decided to join in verse 11. And, then, you know, that, I guess that's one of the benefits of the church, you know. Always know you have somebody that is going to stand with you and be the story and back you, even if it's after the fact, tell you good job, you know. The man thinks you're standing when you know Yeah. Yeah. Do you think it was Matthew Daniel threw them in the mix? Hey, we want to do this. <laughs> I don't know. It's hard to tell because you would think that they would be involved in it from the beginning, but first, first eight nineteen seemed very clear that it was just Daniel that initially came up to talk about it. So, uh, of course, we know you know from the other story of Shadrach, Meshach, and being to go in the fiery furnace. You know, they were guys that would stand against things. And so I would have to assume that they didn't eat it from the beginning, but they were not the ones that said it. Daniel was the one that said it, you know, was the one to actually say something to the commander about it. I'm sure there was a there was a certain measure. I mean, Daniel was was obedient to God. But I'm sure there was, a, there was a measure when everybody else is filling themselves up with meat and, you know, all kinds of fruits and vegetables and sweet things and wine. And he's eating his bowl of fruit where he's kind of wondering, God, are you really, yeah. is this what you want for me? I, mean, I'm, I don't mean to be disobedient, but I'm kind of doubting that yeah. I'm doing the right thing. Yeah. And it's, it's almost a good thing that the test only lasted 10 days because at the end of 10 days, if this was in what we just read or if it's in the next part, but they looked good after 10 days. And that, to Daniel, the other three had been pretty encouraging, you know, to know, thankfully, the Lord was going to be with them. And even in that 10-day period, it was going to 
go ahead and tell them, hey, you'll be okay, so that they can continue on for the rest of those three years like that. Three years like that, by the way, in that set setting. So if the first part teaches us that God's plan is best even in the chaos, the second part teaches us that God's plan is best even in the times when other people won't follow. And that's a valuable lesson for kids, especially as they grow older, but it's also a valuable lesson for us as we face more and more opposition in our world. That it's always best to follow God's plan, even if we find that other people won't follow. Now let's look at the very last part of the story. We find out that God's plan is best because it has the best results. Somebody read verses 17 through 21. Uh, to these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in the whole kingdom. And they remained there until the first year of King Titus. Yeah. So they continue on. The guy sees that the vegetable and fruit diet is fine. So they continue on for those three years. And again in 17, you get that same phrase that's used similarly in verse 2. It says, God gave. In other words, this was not some natural ability of these four guys. This was not hard work on their part. This was God's gift to them because of what they chose to do, and that is to stand up against the crowd and follow God's plan regardless of what other people are doing. And so God gave them a gift for that sort of obedience. He says he gave them intelligence and knowledge in every area that they were studying. And for Daniel specifically, he also gave them the ability to understand visions and dreams, which is going to be important, one, because that was huge for the Babylonians. Somebody that can interpret dreams they were widely promoted quickly through the ranks of that culture. And it's also important to know because that comes into play a lot in the rest of the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 1 setting up the rest of the book. The fact that he can interpret dreams becomes very important for Daniel's life. And these are gifts that God gives them because they've been following God's plan. So at the end of the three years, they come up to their final exam in front of King Nebuchadnezzar. They're 17 years old probably. And he founds out that these four guys are better than all the rest of the youths from every other country that had come up that far. Uh, he even says that they're 10 times better than his current advisors that he has. That's how intelligent and wise that God had made them. And so he brings them in and puts them apart of his royal entourage as counselors to him. And Daniel in particular, God allows to live through it all. The exile lasted 70 years, and that last verse tells us that God allowed Daniel to live through every single one of those years until the very end of it, because Cyrus was the very end of the exile. 
What an awesome blessings that we see from God. You know, when we say that following God's plan is the best results, you know, sometimes it's not necessarily the results that we would see. I'm sure we would want to see. I'm sure Daniel and these other guys, the results they would have wanted to see was to go back home. You know, to see their parents, their 17-year-old boys after all. To see their, their sisters and their brothers and their friends and their house. I'm sure that's what they wanted to see. And they couldn't do that. But what God did was give them a result that in the long scheme of things was even better. Because their names are written down in the Bible. And we still talk about their story 2,500 years after they lived. I mean, think of all the lives that have been changed because of these four guys. Think of all the kids who have made different decisions because of these four guys. So as bad as they wanted the results to go home, God's results in the grand scheme of things ended up being better than the results that they could have asked for. And even for their own lives, God they did give them blessings, didn't he? What blessings did God give these guys for their obedience? Good health. Good health. They were the healthiest ones there. Right. Didn't we uh, read with them that Daniel, God gave Daniel the wisdom to not say to the one that was in charge of their meals and that, you know, uh, you know, no, we don't want to eat meat because they're Hebrew culture because it might be uncleanly. He just says, let us, but he worded it differently. Yeah. It still kept them from breaking the laws of having unclean meat. Yeah. So he had the wisdom to do that. And now mm -hmm. he's got honor with yeah. his uh, food. Mm -hmm. Yeah, his request is definitely very tactful and nice. It's not rude when he makes the request earlier. That's an act of wisdom on his part for sure. The BBS manual, they said for us today, following God's plan, it could lead to results like maybe seeing a friend who sees your action and they respond to that and want to know more about Jesus because they saw the way you react to do it. Or it might lead you to a, a better job or a better opportunity that you hadn't thought of because you lost another one. Or it could lead you even to a closer relationship to God or to see God in a more clear light because of what happened in the chaos instead of afterwards. You know, these are all things that can come about as a result of following God's plan. What are some other ways that God can bless us when we follow his plan? Bless us when we follow his plan. Humanity is the best blessing is when I pass for something and I say that it happens. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it strengthens your faith. To see that. Especially if you're following his plan, like he's talking about his will. You know, there's not as much as the peace of mind if you're not doing what he told you to. Nothing bad goes bad. You know? 
you can readily see that when you miss people and the reaction to stuff. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't want you to be a peace of mind. That's right. He he didn't want the other Israelite boys to be, you know, super wise, intelligent, get all the good stuff. He wanted them to follow and do what Daniel and them were doing. That's right. So the challenge for us, the point of this lesson to say is despite what our world says, that following your heart is what makes you happy, which is what every one of the other boys were doing. They were following their heart. That really God's plan is best. It was best in the chaos. It was best um, when there was nobody else doing it. And it had the best results. God's plan is best, not following your heart. And so the challenge for us is to, to really say, you know, what is it that God's plan is for my life? God, and we got to leave and say, look, God, what do you want me to do with my life? Because I know that your plan is best. And for people who are unbelievers, they need to realize that God's best plan for them is to be saved. God doesn't want any to perish. He wants all to come to repentance, that Jesus died on the cross for everybody if they want to. God's plan and God's purpose for everybody is to be saved, and unbelievers need to see that. And to see that even in what they're doing, it's not their heart that's going to make them happy. It's following God's plan of salvation that brings God's ultimate joy in their lives. So any comments or questions about the passage? All right. Let me pray for us to close out. Dear God, thank you for this passage of Daniel 1 and for these teenage boys that were willing to do something so difficult and the lessons that we learned from it, Lord, that we can even look up to these youths and make a stand in our own day. Lord, we know we stand in a time that uh, is uh, chaotic and getting more chaotic, Lord, in a time where uh, the temptations of all the, the forbidden foods out there become more and more powerful and fewer and fewer are willing to say that you shouldn't partake, Lord. I pray that we would be believers who would stand for your truth like Daniel, that we'd be encouraged to stand up and say, no, that's not right. And we would gather together as those four boys did to support one another, Lord. I pray that we would also be people and that you would open the eyes of the people that to know that the gospel is your perfect plan for our happiness, Lord, and not the desires of our heart. And I pray that the people in our community, the people in our family and our friends that don't realize that or don't live by that, Lord, that you would open their eyes to the truth and they would follow your plan instead of following their heart. Lord God, we love you and thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for our sins and doing all that you can to draw us near to you and for us our knowledge, knowing that you never leave us or forsake us. You have us in your plans. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you, Brenda.